0: Welcome to the Crisis Podcast, COVID-19 edition. My name is Travis Atkinson, and I am your host. Join me as we discuss behavioral health crisis services during the COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome to the Crisis Podcast, COVID-19 edition. I am your host, Travis Atkinson. We're here to talk about all things behavioral health crisis services in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. And I get to start with a couple of announcements today. First off, I want to share that uh, about a week ago, I attended the virtual American Association of Suicide Allergy annual conference and was honestly blown away at how well organized it was. This was a conference that was supposed to take place in Portland, Oregon. And about a month before the conference, they announced that it was going to go virtual. And... I didn't know what to think. I happened to present uh, at this virtual conference and was just very curious about how it was going to all play out. And what I saw was tremendous, an incredible coming together of planners and and directors and just tremendous communication. So, I want to send a shout out to a few people. Uh, first of all, the entire AAS team and board for making this happen, being creative, and giving people something of value uh, in a conference experience uh, that, was, that was virtual. So, Chris Maxwell at the American Association of Suicidology. Uh, he works in uh, public relations and communications. Colleen Creighton, who's the exe- the CEO, excuse me, now of, the, uh, of AAS. And Jonathan Singer, who is the current uh, president. And also Tony Wood, who is the board chair. There are many other people that work at AAS and are on the board, uh, people that are near and dear to my heart. But I wanted to say they gave an incredible conference. I believe there will be opportunities for people to register for the sessions that were offered. Um, so there will be a, a separate rate. But I highly recommend it. They brought in great content. They, they just made it a very good conference. Had great engagement. And as a presenter, I felt uh, appreciated and informed, so can't say enough about them. Check them out. If you haven't heard of AAS before, go to uh, suicidology.org and see what they're all about. The other announcement is I am the co-founder of a group called the Pandemic Crisis Services Response Coalition, and we have launched a website called covidmentalhealthsupport.org and we're very excited about this this website so about a month ago maybe 6 weeks ago now as uh, the united states was uh, starting to go on uh, shelter in place orders i had a thought well, how is this going to impact mental health services and access and and what's how is this all going to go down and so I reached out to a few colleagues, uh, Amy Louise Carton at Keep Appy and Chris Maxwell at AAS. And Amy connected me with Elliot Taylor with Live for Tomorrow in New Zealand. And the four of us had some conversations and started to bring in other uh, providers and behavioral health advocates and, and federal system administrators and, and engage some conversations about... How can we be the most helpful during this time for people who are in crisis? So we developed this website, covidmentalhealthsupport.org. And it includes a database or a repository of helplines across the U.S. Right now it has over 600 in this database. And you can search by uh, area of the country. You can search by... The, the type of, of support you're looking for or the type of challenge you're experiencing. And we've had great response so far. And we have some other sections too, help for the helpers, uh, how to help a loved one that uh, we'll be continuing to add on to. But I just wanted to share that and feel free to share that with your colleagues. And if you have suggestions or um, you know, you've, you've, you have a, a new helpline that's been open since COVID-19 and you'd like it included. There's a section on the website for that as well. So also a shout out to uh, my, my co-founders again for for making that happen. That was uh, a, a tremendous opportunity uh, to connect with people and to try and be helpful. And uh, so that's, that's for you and for, for whoever you know that might need it the last thing I'll say on that is that it's it's a good, a good time to plan ahead for a crisis. You know, if, if your family's ever gone through like a, an evacuation plan or a fire drill or something and said, hey, if something happens in our house, here's where we're going to meet. Um, you don't wait until you smell smoke before you make those plans. And in the same way, uh, you shouldn't, not know what to do in a mental health crisis until you're in one. So I encourage you to check out the site. You may need it someday. Your loved ones might need it. And it's just helpful to know. I've even been telling people to reach out to their health plans and and ask them, where should I go if I'm in a mental health crisis right now? Because the ER might not be the right place. I don't know. If 911 is going to be the right number to call, depending on your community, it's going to to vary. So that's that. I want to get into now this episode of the podcast. So I was very fortunate to interview two great people on the podcast, Rania Hassan of Rose which is a provider in Illinois, and Chris Thompson with Lenape Valley Foundation, in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, which is just north of of Philadelphia. I know both of these people because they're board members with the Crisis Residential Association, which I'm also a board member of. And I also learned something about all three of us during this podcast, which you'll hear near the end. Let's just say we're all experiencing some unconventional exercise during this time. At any rate, here is the Crisis Podcast COVID nineteen edition for April twelfth. Chris Thompson and Rania Hassan, two awesome colleagues here with me today. Rania Hassan of Rosecrans in Rockford, Illinois, and Chris Thompson of Lenape Valley Foundation in Pennsylvania. Uh, Rania and Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Travis.
1: Hi, Travis. How are you?
0: Hey, I'm hanging in there. I'm doing good. Um, ate a lot of good food today and that's got me going in the right direction right now. So I'm, I'm very grateful for that. Um, Rania, I want to start with you. Could you tell us a little bit about the work that you do? Um, you know, like where, where you're located and maybe even a little bit about, um, why you're, uh, why you're doing crisis services? Like what, what, what calls you to do it?
1: We are a seven-bed inpatient voluntary psychiatric stabilization unit. Uh, The second team is an adult and youth crisis team. Essentially, we oversee four counties, and we will help anybody. Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) So we'll help anybody that needs our help. Um, In addition to that, I oversee our 50-year-old crisis line, And um, the idea is from the safety of your own home, you can call in and uh, obtain resources, access to mental health. Uh, So I get to oversee all these great um, teams and services through Rosecrans. Uh, Why do I do what I do? Um, I truly love helping, uh, especially uh, within the crisis um, world. I feel it takes a certain uh, type of person to love going in and de-escalating a crisis and helping people um, in times of great need. Uh, A lot of training goes into it, a lot of um, adrenaline, um, and really collaborating with people to be able to help. So I really love all those items and putting them together, and that's why I I do what I do. Uh,
0: Chris Thompson, same questions to you. Um, Tell us a little bit more about where you work and the crisis services you oversee,
2: and what the heck are you doing? Why are you doing this work? (laughs) Sure thing, Travis. Um, Yeah, so uh, I oversee crisis services at Letupia Valley Foundation. We're located in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, about 45 minutes north of Philadelphia, we're about uh, an hour and fifty minutes, hour twenty minutes outside of New York City. Um, so, um, our crisis services consist of a, a county hotline. Um, we receive calls from all, all over the place, even though it's 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 published uh, within our county mental health office. Um, we also have um, two walk-in crisis centers. And we also provide uh, crisis intervention and, and an emergency room for patients that are in the emergency uh, room at St. Mary's Medical Center. Uh, we also have a um, mobile crisis team that provides crisis intervention throughout the entire county. We'll come to you. We essentially take the road on the sh- uh, the road um, the show on the road, so to speak, um, with what we do with evaluation and level of care assessment and crisis stabilization. Um, you know all the things that a crisis mobile crisis team would engage in, and then lastly, we have a brand new 12 bed crisis residential um, program uh, called the Lodge. Uh, we opened in September, and um, we uh, we're doing you know we're hanging in there during COVID nineteen. Um, I guess we'll get to that later on in the show. And then why do I do crisis? I've, I've been doing crisis intervention work since, uh, oh, wow. It's going on 11 years now. I've been working in mental health for, for 19 years. Um, I started out working in residential um, at an acute respite program, sort of sort of crisis res light um, in our organization. And um, yeah, I worked a 4 to 12 shift there, Monday through Friday, held it down while I went to graduate school and um, you know, and then worked my way into crisis. Uh, started out as a crisis evaluator, like many of us. Um, and then over time became the director of the program. Um, I love the pace. Um, I get bored easy. So um, crisis provides a lot of opportunity, um, you know, for for uh, growth and, and different kinds of um, interventions in, in the mental health uh, arena. You know, I, I think... In, in the last five years, crisis services have been getting a lot of attention, um, and that really um, keeps it interesting for me. Um, we keep expanding how we provide crisis um, intervention, and the shift from crisis being an adjunct service kind of over here, supporting the rest, and now we've come to realize that crisis is just as important as outpatient services or partial hospital programming Um So I just love the pace. I love the work. I love hearing people's stories. Um, You know, my um, my my daily contact with individuals in the community is a lot less today than it was back in the day. And I I really look forward to those moments when I get to engage with with clients and 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 hear their stories. Awesome. So. Um let's talk a little bit about
0: how life has changed for uh for y'all as as uh as crisis uh managers, directors uh, in the wake of COVID-19. Um as Chris you kind of said, I imagine like par- parts of your world have already been fairly uh, unpredictable or dynamic day by day uh as you uh, are in tune to the needs of the people that you're serving. Um, but what's changed in your program and I'll start with you, Rania, like what's, what's different at your program right now? Um, and how has adapting to this new normal been going for you and your team?
1: I would say, um, What's very special about crisis is we constantly experience change. As Chris said, the last five years, we've experienced more growth or um, more attention. Uh, we're no longer adjuncts. I feel like we have our own wing. And um, during this time, I feel many other uh, departments or services uh, may have felt a greater impact than our crisis teams, but our crisis teams are used to change. Um, the situations that we help with are not predictable. We don't schedule appointments. When a clinician comes into work, they don't always necessarily know what they're coming into. So in a sense, we were prepared for this and um the change that I saw was just the unknown of the pandemic itself that everyone went through. So not knowing uh, what the response would be statewide or nationwide, and then having to adapt it within our own program. So essentially, um, a crisis residential clinician will come into shift change and they will receive direction, updates, and uh, different pieces of uh, tools that they can use for that day. And we were able to adapt that with what was happening across the nation, across states, Uh, counties were doing updates, and our own agency did a daily update as well. So what we did was we adapted that into our shift changes to better equip our clinicians um, so that Uh, You need great communication Uh, tool in crisis really came in handy. Um, However, as people of this nation, we experienced it just like everyone else as well, in that we did not know what was coming. Um, Very similar to right now, we still don't know uh, what it will look like a week or two from now. So we continue to adapt um, on a daily basis and move forward very much similarly providing services the same way we've been providing them and pushing forward. And I feel a uh, crisis, uh, we, as Chris said, we weren't always branded the way that we are. Uh, many of the supervisors and people currently in the field are attempting to brand um, those services we provide so people know uh, how to access them and understand the importance of them. And um, with the pandemic going on, we're able to do that now and uh, show the importance of, hey, we're open, we're ready to help. Um, If you need help, come see us. Let's figure out a way to get you in.
0: Mm -hmm. Rania, one thing you alluded to is that Rosecrans is a multi-state organization, correct? And so um, how has that uh, helped you? Like, do you provide these crisis services in other states or um, what what types of resources have you been able to rely on and and allow you to maybe do things that a, a local one county center might not be able to do?
1: So, yes, we are located in different regions. In McHenry, we have a mobile crisis response team. In Rockford, we have uh, the Mulberry Center, so another crisis residential center. And we're able to rely on each other's resources. And during times of need, we're able to contact each other and either bounce updates, uh, problem solve different issues that are going on consult with each other, or work together to figure out different resources. Um, something that I, I really feel supported that, um, say, for instance, uh, uh, my team can't get a hold of me for some reason, or say, for instance, I were to catch COVID, I know that my counterpart in Rockford would be able to consult with my team and step in on my behalf to help me out. So it is helpful uh, that we are, um, like you said, multi-state, multi-region, just to be able to have that extra support during this time.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. And um, uh, I, uh, the, the, the sense that I'm getting as we looked at some surveys, and I'm going to talk about a survey that was done recently in just a little bit, but um, even if things are going well, it sounds like there's a little bit of a sense of anxiety that like things could change very quickly. Um, that if, you know, if you don't have a lot of margins to work with, with your staff and you only have so many like on-call staff working, then it only takes one positive case. And then all of a sudden, all the people who are working on shifts with that person might have to be quarantined or, you know, there, that, that, that there could, there's a, a thinness perhaps, uh, which could cause a sense of anxiety for people who, uh, or for people running these programs to say, gosh, things could things could change very, very quickly. And, and a good, we could have four really good days right now where things are stable, but then, you know, one, one positive taste or one uh, person that we have to wait for a test to come back from might change everything.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so Chris, you mentioned that you just opened this program in September. I mean, that's an epic feat in in of itself. I can, I can certainly relate to that. Uh, but you're, opening this program, and then you have, whatever, four or five months into this, uh, as you're kind of ironing out ironing out the wrinkles, um, you're, you're blasted with COVID. Tell us about what that's been like uh, and how your program has adapted or has uh, maybe even struggled to adapt. Sure thing, Travis. Um,
2: yeah, I, I, I feel like, um, you know, we've been playing catch-up for uh, the last couple of weeks here, Uh, I, I, you know, you said it well, I think things go well for, you know, 42 hours, um, 72 hours, and then, you know, something, something gives, you you know, there's someone that we're worried about that's positive or a staff member that has a, a positive family member, um, and then things change rapidly. Um, What's changed in my world a lot in the last uh, few weeks is I've had to rewrite a lot of policy or write addendums to policy. Um, so that staff have solid direction, um, on how to proceed if, uh, certain scenarios start to take place. Um, <clears throat> you know, so, so I can talk a little bit about some of the direction that we took, um, you know, and just to back up for a second and talk about Pennsylvania and where we're at, if, if you don't mind, I'd like to, um, share my screen real quick, um, Go for it. Let's try it. All right. You know, right here. Can you guys see that? Mm-hmm.
0: No? I'm not seeing anything yet. Um, let me see. Oh, hold on. Hold on. I think it's coming. Maybe. Right. <laughs> the no sounds with silence. Um, while we just talk- try to get that up, Chris, uh, do you want to uh, describe a little bit of what's what you've got going on?
2: Yeah, sure. I can just talk about what I was going to share. So here in, in Pennsylvania, um, we're currently looking at about 22,000 cases. Um, and we've had about 500 deaths. Um, and just here in Bucks County, um, we're looking at about almost 1,200 positive cases. And we've lost 32 Bucks County um uh, residents to COVID, um, you know, so that that does cause a, a lot of concern for us um, in that the populations that we serve are at risk. Um, so we want to make sure that we're keeping our 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 guests at our crisis residential program safe as possible. Um, so some of the things that we've done is we've reduced our census to seven beds. That way, everybody has a single room um, and they have their own bathroom. Um, we feel like that's a a good direction ahead and will help with um keeping the the environment disinfected and um individuals um you know sharing fluids essentially um that's what we're trying to combat here um our agency as a whole was very quick in moving into a telehealth uh platform for service delivery across the entire organization um you know and you know that first weekend <laughs> before Uh, as COVID was taking hold, um, that was a very busy weekend for us. Um, you know, we worked around the clock. It felt like, um, trying to get things in place so that, um, we could continue to provide service to all the consumers that, um, come to our organization. Um, so, you know, our, our psychiatrists were doing telehealth. Um, we even started doing group, uh, therapy in the last week. Um, on a, on, a, on a video chat platform. And my understanding is that's gone fairly well uh, for most individuals um, who are participating in that. Um, we found that a lot of, a lot of clients are, are very savvy and, and can jump on their cell phones and, and hop into a group. And that's been very helpful for them. Um, in the crisis world, you know, we're, we're still seeing folks walk in um, and we're providing, you know, that a that level of care assessment, crisis intervention, Um, safety planning, things of that nature. Um, But what we're finding is referrals out of crisis are much more difficult right now. Um, You know, when we refer internally to our own organization, obviously it goes a lot smoother. Uh, But when we're looking for external um, providers uh, to connect a a client to, it's it's been a little bit more challenging. Um, Um, but nevertheless, uh, even our mobile crisis team is is providing um, telehealth interventions when the uh, individual feels that they rather do that than have us come to their home. And we've been getting really positive feedback in that regard that um, families like having the option of, of, of getting service, but through social distancing and being able to keep themselves safe so that there's one less um, worry, and that is catching COVID, right? I mean, um, that's what's on everybody's mind right now is keeping healthy. You know, so, you know, one of the debates that we've been having um, internally is, you know, um, when does a crisis situation rise to the level that it would trump someone's positive COVID situation, Right. You know that's that's the challenge that we're in, and triaging uh, that scenario and providing the best support for that individual. Um, you know, I think that's a very important question that that isn't being addressed enough.
0: Is we are so focused on uh, the the COVID issues that that is way overshadowing behavioral health crisis issues, and that can become a real problem when you're not paying attention to people's uh growing or developing mental health crisis and there is kind of a a triage that has to happen there so i'm glad you're bringing that up that like we can't just say that that behavioral health isn't important in this um so i'm curious to hear more about that you know where where you get to that point of when you know when, when you start to take risks or address um other issues because of because one has started to move greater than the other
2: Sure. Yeah. You know, I I, I I can't say that I have a, a a great answer. Honestly, I you know that's kind of the space that we're in, trying to work through that. I have to say, you know, the the question that that we were we're asking ourselves is, what do we do if we have a positive COVID individual that also needs, you know, some significant intervention, you know, admission into the lo- uh, into a crisis res or or even something higher like inpatient. You know, how how do we manage that? Um, And we haven't had that situation yet. So our stance is now we will evaluate and assess and and consult with our medical professionals about what the next direction is. Um, One of the concerns I have is is that we're getting conflicting um, guidance from different departments. Um, You know, our health department is saying one thing. Our county mental health office is saying another uh, I won't even go to the federal level, um, but that seems to be a little disjointed as well. <laughs> um, you know, uh, you know, we were supposed to be done with this by now. It's today's Easter, remember? Um, yes, I was. I was. I kept waiting for it. I
0: kept checking my phone, but it yeah, didn't happen you know, today. Um, it's weird.
1: I feel like where we are right now is very indicative um, of just the natural triage that has to happen. So I'm pretty sure with, so at our agency, when it all started happening, we started going out with daily email communications to triage across the whole board. How do we deal with this? And then what we did is we narrowed down on our own teams and created for, for instance, for crisis residential, we created a plan of support, and essentially, we had to absorb what was happening a little bit in order to figure out how can we address the needs of what's happening right now, and I feel as we continue on down this journey of this pandemic, uh, we're only continuing to learn more and more, and of course, we're all listening to CDC and following those guidelines, but as we continue to go on, I feel like it's stands hierarchy. Where, OK, we are currently securing this level and then we're moving on to this level and we're peeling back this onion a little bit more uh, with the tools that we have. However, um, and just like Maslow's hierarchy, you can travel back and forth. And I'm wondering if we end up, and hopefully none of our teams experience it, but who knows we may, if we do end up with a COVID positive case, whether it be on the client side and we have to figure out placement or whether it be on the staff side, um, I wonder how we can use the um, different new tools that we're picking up along the way to assist in that. Um, But definitely just leaning on each other during this time has been helpful. Um, I know whenever I feel stuck in a situation, if I don't reach out to my other regions, I'm reaching out to people that I've met through the Crisis Residential Association. And um, especially during a time like this, I find our, uh, our listserv email very helpful and that I know that we're all just a click away from each other to figure out what do we need to do during this time. And honestly, only time will tell. We can't predict what's going to continue happening. And as we do, I think it's going to be more important for all of us to communicate so that we can bounce ideas and better handle this as a unit rather than separate and individually.
0: And I I, thank you, Rania, and I forgot to mention this at the top of the show, but uh, we are all uh, members of the Crisis Residential Association Board, um, and so we are, uh, you know, a few of... um, uh, Uh, 125, 150 uh, members of this organization, but there's 700 crisis residential providers across the country. So there are these these programs that are trying to provide um, community-based care to people uh, experiencing a mental health crisis. And that's part of kind of what brings us all together. And Rania, um, as long as I have you talking, I want to share something um, that, uh, I'd like you to touch on. Cause you brought this up on one of the calls a few weeks ago. Um, so can y'all see, um, this screen right here with the, uh, do, is my, um, am, am I sharing properly? Can you see this little graph I've got up here?
1: No, no.
0: Well, we got that going for us. Um,
1: <laughs> you're going to have to describe. <laughs>
0: Hold on, wait a second. Oh, wait. Show and stream. That's what you're. Oh, there you go. There you yep. go. Yay! All right, now I'm gonna maybe even solo it here. Crazy. Okay. Here we go. The survey. Yeah. Yep. So this is. These are some of the survey. <laughs> Thank you, Jamie. Jamie's here. Hi, Jamie. Um, here's the survey results. Um, from a survey that was administered uh, a few days ago. Uh, of crisis call centers, crisis residential providers, and crisis and mobile crisis teams. So about 350 crisis providers participated. And one of the questions that was asked is, "What is uh what, what like uh, choose all of the things that are a challenge to you right now in your programs?" Okay. And the largest responses were um, overwhelmed workforce due to health concerns. Lack of critical supplies; those were both at seventy percent. Fifty-three percent attrition due to health concerns, and fifty-one percent overwhelmed workforce due to having fewer staff available for, excuse me, whatever reason. Rania, um, I want to talk about the 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 um, the the um, the issue of staff morale and feeling engaged in this work. Um, and talk to us about how much you think of that as like a problem, and how much you're um, you know how how much you're trying to combat that with with action and engagement.
1: I definitely think um, during this time and uh, just stepping aside from work, if um, just speaking with friends and past coworkers and past colleagues uh, the anxiety about this situation is real. And, um, when I think of clients, I think of, uh, clients who experienced mental health and then on top of it all, now there, there's an increase. Now we know in our, uh, crisis field that, um, we didn't have a perfect formula going on. So, uh, before COVID, um, For instance, during our webinars that would happen nationwide, we would survey our uh, people who are tuning in, what are some topics that you'd like for us to talk about? And high on the list was always team morale. How do you keep uh, crisis residential or mobile crisis response clinicians engaged? How do you foster a healthy environment? So with COVID coming on, it's an extra um, struggle it's uh, just, it's, it's like when you're at the gym and you decide to add some extra weights on that bar and continue to lift. And that's uh what we've experienced is just some extra struggle trying to figure out first, how do we support um, our staff through this? And whether it be extra consultation, debriefing, really um, being real with staff that this is This is a time of uncertainty and um, really thanking them for being brave and courageous and coming to work every day. Uh, That's something that they have a choice. They don't have to do that. Now I know everyone needs a living in order to pay their bills and feed their families, but essentially they make that choice to come in and serve the clients that need the help and they're essential and brave and courageous for that. And as a supervisor, Uh, My job is to constantly observe, gain feedback, be proactive, and figuring out ways to increase team morale and foster a healthy environment. And um, different ways that we've tried to do this is, one, making sure that uh, we're there for consultation. There's new questions coming up constantly, whether it be from staff members or from clients who relay it to staff members. And staff members say, I don't know, I've never been through this before. Um, just having that open communication and um, really having that understanding that a lot of us don't know many of the answers right now. And But what's going to happen is we're going to figure it out together. And that's really been a, uh, and I think this is something that we're going to look back on and experience like this was a very interesting learning experience and we did it together. So very much spending that extra time listening to staff, um, making sure that you're available for them, doing fun things. Um, I'm still trying to get people to try to do, there's this new TikTok uh uh, what do they call it? Called? It's a TikTok video. It's the new trend where people are in a row and then they do a little dance move and they uh, sort of get out of the way. Uh, but we're doing little fun photos. where, um, Sharing memes. Memes get us through the day, honestly. Uh, I will have to, I think I shared this with Travis. I actually stopped checking your social media during uh my work lunch because I would just <laughs> cackle and screenshot. <laughs> but screenshotted so many of your memes and sent them to so many team members. And every different team gets different memes. Uh and really it's the little stuff that keeps us going. Um Uh, I'm super excited about the buttons that are coming out. Uh, I'm actually uh, sending that out to the team tomorrow. That's what I'm geeked about sharing with them. And I'm super excited for when we get them. And uh, I sent in an extra number because I want to share them with more than just Crisis Residential. I want to share them with other people at our agency to support Crisis Residential um, because I feel that they are doing a very special job. They are located in a center. So it's a little bit different from our mobile crisis response team who is going out to different places. Um, Nonetheless though, with the importance of either team, but a little bit of a different kind of environment during this time.
0: So uh, Ronnie, before I kick it back over to Chris, um, there's uh, obviously a lot of attention on uh, frontline essential worker, first responder type staff. Um, but do you think when people are saying healthcare workers as, as these thank yous come in, are they, are they including behavioral health workers or not? And how do we make sure that they are included if, if that's not part of the narrative right now? I guess I think of this in a, in a parody lens to say, um, it's been really hard to get people to, um, uh, reimburse, Behavioral health uh, services at the same rate as we get for primary care services. Uh, do you think this is another example of behavioral health being overlooked in this frontline conversation, um, or do you think that they're, that that behavioral health professionals are getting the attention that they deserve?
1: I definitely think when um, it all first started, we heard about first responders as being anyone in healthcare or perhaps law enforcement, and immediately behavioral health is forgotten, but as time goes on, I see the posts and I see the different articles or news reports, including uh, behavioral health. However, I don't think it's included as much as it should be. So for instance, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, we came up with the hashtag uh, crisis res heroes. And the purpose of that was to spread the word Um, I did a search recently. I was sending out an email to the teams and I did a search for uh, different uh, banners or um, images that were being made. So if you do an internet search for uh, COVID heroes, what comes up is first responders and different images will display. So um, there was law enforcement, there was the healthcare emblem, but I couldn't find anything related to social workers or therapists. So what I did was there was a First responders' uh, image, and it was general enough for me to include it. And what I did was I pasted it next to our crisis team logo. So we created the logo a couple years ago, and I said, We are going to paste this together, and that's what we're going to have to do. And I think that's why, for instance, Creating the hashtag Crisis Res Heroes is really important during this time because if we are not being recognized, it is our responsibility to then uh, create the, um, whether it be the post or the attention needed and share our, either it be successes or just the story of what are we going through. Uh, I often... Uh, see that nurses will take a photo after their shift and share their experience. And that's something that I encourage anyone listening to this or anyone on our teams to do because it's very important and sharing your journey, that's the only way that we're going to continue to have people understand the importance of the work that we do so we don't remain hidden gems. Because we are a gem, but we are hidden. So how do we change that, essentially, is the key question here.
0: Absolutely, Rania. And kudos to you for taking it to the streets, you know what I mean? And being like, oh, wait a minute, this is not, you know, I, I think I imagine you come through life in a little bit of an equity lens and trying to say, you know, how can we fight for justice? And, and we're not, you know, I, I think that this, Having this conversation doesn't mean that we don't care about frontline healthcare workers like medical. Like, absolutely, they're important. But we're right
1: there there. alongside with them. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? That we want to uh, basically give is we can collaborate, and in collaboration, that's when we can be the most helpful. Uh, We already have seen with our mobile crisis response teams the ideas of. Uh, working alongside law enforcement, going out with law enforcement. Our team, our um, team goes out and will complete an assessment, a crisis assessment in the community at a home with law enforcement at any time that they request us. So we've worked really hard to create that collaboration and we've seen great benefit in client care due to that. So it's not about, you know, Oh, we we're coming in, and we want to say that you know we're doctors, or you know we're doing it way better. No, it's about we're all doing this together, and how do we stand next to each other during this battle and help each other out?
0: Absolutely, both. <laughs> yeah, um, Chris, I'm going to turn it over to you. Uh, tell uh, w- w- what's your response or your experience with the workforce discussion here, and um, you know uh, our. How, how are your staff handling this and, and what's needed right now to to have a stable workforce and to be able to do what you're there, what the lodge is there to, to is made to do, which is serve people in crisis?
2: Sure, sure. Yeah, we, we had a, a scare early on in this whole pandemic. We thought we had two, we had two presumptive uh, positive residents in our, our crisis res. Um, <clears throat> so we we had to, we had to get them tested which, you know, three weeks ago, getting a test was was much more challenging. Um, but we were able to figure that out, get them tested, um, and then develop social distancing protocols within the program to keep those individuals safe and the rest of the program safe, as well as staff. And I think that experience gave us um, a little bit of confidence in that we could handle it. Now, the good news is, is it came back that they were negative. So, you know, that was a big um, relief. Um, we were able to relax a little bit and back off some of the more uh, stringent social distancing uh, uh, protocols that we had put in place. Um, you know, I, I think when, when we talk about, um, you know, crisis and mental health uh, parity and where we fit in, the, in this big puzzle, um, I do believe we fit right alongside of uh, medical professionals in that, um, there's a role for us to play in this, right? So we're not we're not intubating individuals who are struggling to breathe from COVID um, and need ventilators, but we might be the people that are talking to that individual's family about their medical status um, and helping them cope with that, right? That could be a role for us in crisis for sure. Um, but where you really see the rubber meet the road for me um, within our programs was. Uh, the distribution of PPE, um, that for me was uh, uh, very eye-opening um, and where the priorities fell around that. And I, I, I'm still trying to process that and, and come to understand um, that whole process. You know, there's a part of me that says, mm-hmm. I don't want to be taking away an N95 mask from a ICU nurse that's going to be standing over top of a positive uh, COVID and and trying to intubate them. Right. Um, But in the same token um, we do need that equipment so that we can, can continue to provide service to individuals that are coming into crisis res, or uh, if we're going out to do a mobile crisis, or we have a walk-in crisis client that's coughing or, you know, maybe has a fever, you know, we, we want to be able to protect our staff and protect that individual Um, from somebody maybe on staff that's asymptomatic, right? And that requires PPE um, and the utilization of that in effective ways. And that's just a completely new world to me. I mean, you know, we we do um, bloodborne pathogen training and things of that nature and how to use gloves and, you know, know, cleaning up uh, bodily fluid spills and things of that nature, but never to this degree. Um, have I been put in a position where I had to focus on what was the next right thing to do for my staff as far as guidance is concerned? Um, and we continue to learn, we continue to learn. Um, so as we were able to establish a, a decent supply of some PPE, um, that really helped our staff feel more confident in what they were doing, knowing that they can protect themselves. Um, and, and also we can protect other, uh, clients coming in to receive services. So um, some of the things that we've implemented um, are all staff are wearing surgical masks now or or hand-sewn masks. Um, We've been very grateful to have roughly 100 hand-sewn masks um, donated to our organization. So we've been spreading those out. We've also been able to secure a, uh, a, a reliable supply of surgical masks, which, mind you, is not N95 masks. And really the purpose of those masks is to prevent spread of COVID-19 if you are asymptomatic um, and still kind of not, you know, you're out in the world and you're not self-quarantining um, or think that you need to go get tested. Um, and, and for me, that's the, that's the scarier part of all this is the unknown part of an individual who's asymptomatic and not knowing. Mm. Right? Or, mm. or or having to wait four days, five days for test results it's almost as if that test result comes back and it's five days later, and you haven't self quarantined this individual and know exactly where they've been going, it, it almost feels like that test result is is obsolete because there's been five days that that individual can then been um, infected. so I say all this, and then you know the other part that I'm trying to process is again, what is, what is the primary focus? Reducing the spread of COVID or providing behavioral health services? And how can we do that at the same time, simultaneously, right? That is the, the, the ultimate goal. Um, and, and a big part of that is having um, PPE, um, N95 face masks, uh, face shields, gloves, hand sanitizer. Uh, we currently are getting jugs of hand sanitizer um, from two local distilleries. Um, you know, we're happy to provide the business to the distilleries that are otherwise shut down. Um, but again, you know, the fact that we can't get hand sanitizer off of Amazon is something that we never would have thought that would be a reality for us. Um, so that's some of the challenges, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Chris. Um, I'm
0: going to pull up another graphic here. If I can, I'm going to go for broke here. See what happens. Um, all right. If I take myself off, Ooh, look at that. Okay. We're getting closer. Um, okay. So I'm going to show another graphic here and this is, um, changes in crisis residential referrals. So, as people are thinking about what's happening with COVID, they might be thinking, "Well, I'm, you know, all of the referrals to all the different types of services in behavioral health or behavioral health crisis are presumably going up." Um, but in two of the three service types, mobile crisis and crisis residential, that was not the case. That that referrals have actually been going down. Or in some cases, there's had to be a a decrease in capacity. And this has been discussed on the the weekly crisis support calls that the Crisis Residential Association has had. Chris, you also brought to light that uh, some of the psychiatric hospitals in your community have either stopped taking referrals or reduced their their capacity. Um, So I want to move this into a little bit of a hypothetical here in the last 10 or 15 minutes we have together. And that is... um, what happens if, and you can see on this graph that 4% of the um, the crisis residential programs have stopped services, okay? So what happens if your crisis residential programs are a uh, have either less capacity or less staff or or are receiving less referrals because some of these sources that you might have mentioned before, I, th- I think it was Chris that mentioned earlier that you don't have places to send people sometimes to discharge. Like if the homeless shelters aren't taking new clients or if, you know, your outpatient therapists or case managers are not you know, just have a different capacity, you might not feel comfortable discharging these people from your program. So if you don't have places to discharge, then that's stopping other people from coming in your program. And I'm sorry to paint this like dark, like, uh, you know, doomsday perfect storm scenario, but this is is what keeps me up at night is, um, so then uh, you might not have your mobile crisis teams that are intervening because they have not switched to remote like telehealth capacity and using tablets instead of going out in person. And you're left with all of these levels of the care continuum that cannot divert people from the emergency room or the psych hospital. And the emergency room, I would say, is the number one place where we don't want people to go right now. Um, what happens? Um, I'm going to start with Chris. Like, what happens in this um, scenario? And like, how, what the heck do we do? How do we get out of this? Um, Uh, You know, how is this all going to go down in the next one to two months um, if we keep going the same direction that we're going right now, which is um, uh, working at the margins with our staff, um, uh, you know, limited beds and
2: all these other factors that we've talked about? Sure, sure. Yeah. Keeps me up at night, too, Travis, right now. You know, the future, um, you know, I try to remain positive and hopeful. Um, you know, we we have done a huge campaign with, with our staff and and um, using the term healthcare workers, um, you know, essential services, um, frontline workers. We were actually um, really lucky and and had a local newspaper do an article on behavioral health crisis intervention, um, at, at, and and kind of highlighted this idea that you know we're here working too. Let's not forget about behavioral health. We're also concerned that there's going to there's be like this boomerang slingshot kind of effect down the road because everybody's isolated and cooped up, um, and we know how that can acerbate an individual's um, psychiatric symptoms. Um, so, you know, we're concerned about what this is going to look like a, a month from now um, with everybody cooped up. Um, you know, internally, we have a handful of um, long-term residential programming And some of those programs have shifted to a shelter-in-place model where we have staff just living there um, for two weeks at a time, and then we're switching those staff out. Um, The idea behind that was keeping uh, a very small portion, a very small portion, handful of staff kind of on the sidelines um, in case we start to lose staff um, with positive cases or family members that get sick and then now they're quarantined or whatever the scenario may be. Um, <clears throat> so that we can we can swing people in um, to the program um, and and help out. Um, the other uh, reason behind reducing our census to seven beds um, was that um, if we did reach a, a situation where we were a, a shelter in place and we didn't have enough staff, that that you know seven individuals is is easier to manage than twelve, right? Um, making sure that all those people's needs can be met. Um, so we're trying to think ahead about um, how to plan accordingly if this happens or that happens. It, it, you know, essentially having positive staff members um, and or positive individuals in, in one of our um, residential programs or crisis res. Um Yeah.
0: Thank you, Chris. I want to uh, get over to to Rania and hear your thoughts as well. Like what, what, like how how does this all play out either if it goes well or um, if, if uh, compromises continue to happen, Uh, you know, what's, what's your take on this?
1: It's a daily think tank. I feel we're, I know the number one thing that we all lack before even COVID is time. I wish that we can all have an extra five hours, five, (laughs) an extra whole day (laughs) to the day in order to just think about being more proactive and thinking of more solutions. But moving forward, just having daily think tanks and reporting what we're seeing, what we're observing, what we're experiencing is going to be really important to do some quick proactive, because proactive right now is not um, what we usually, how we usually do proactive. Proactive right now is next week. For next week, this is what's happening. When this all started, I don't know if you all went through this, but every two hours, we were experiencing some changes. I'm so happy we're past the two-hour mark, and now it's (laughs) because that was a bit much for me. But um, to have experience changes every two hours, But those changes were important because as information was coming through, we had to adjust. So what I see Rosecrans doing and our crisis uh, teams down here in central Illinois doing is continuing to adjust. And it's the only thing we can do. So making sure we're informed. And that's where time is very important. So making sure that our leaders have that time to be informed, to communicate with each other and then communicate to the team members. So that's a very um, important piece you cannot forget to communicate down to the direct service team to make sure that they're equipped with the knowledge that they need and to make sure that they're involved. Because uh, So where I get my feedback is from the direct staff members and making sure that those uh, lines of communication are open because what they're experiencing is what you actually need in order to make the decisions um, that we're talking about today.
0: Rania, you've um, presented at the crisis residential conference before, and you've also done a webinar on the importance of good leadership and management uh, in this field. And I think you're you're hitting it spot on that um, you uh, everything that you did for your staff when you weren't in a pandemic crisis is like all that much more important right now. Yeah. Um, and I heard it said last week that's, that somebody, the, one of the mantras that a supervisor is taking on is, when I know, you know that there's nothing that they're filtering out or, you know, stopping, from, that, that they're trying to be as transparent as possible to their staff because they know that they need that and they might not love all the information that's coming through, but at least they know that they're getting all of it. So I think that's really important. Um, one The last question that I want to ask each of you, so um, our one of our other board members, uh, Jamie uh, Brewer, um, has this beautiful mentality that she um employs or embraces with her co- her staff the people that she supervises um with this idea that we work in behavioral health services um we know many of the answers to be helpful to people so if we know the answers then what are we doing for ourselves right to take care of us um, that we can't, we can't plead ignorance in this case, right? In the, in the, in the wake of COVID-19, the behavioral health professionals sure as hell better be taking care of themselves, right? Using all those, those skills we have. So Rania, what are you doing right now? What are you practicing? You know, that maybe it's a message that you've given to, to people that you've served before that you serve right now, but what are you practicing to take care of yourself and, and, and make your wellness a priority when it could, you could easily just get sucked into this stuff and let it consume you.
1: Yeah. I remember, um, well, for me, my two houses of worship, uh, the mosque and the gym are both closed. (laughs) 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 Two places I never thought would close shut down. (laughs) (laughs) So I probably went through an adjustment period myself, but I remember emailing my team And there was probably a period of time where I started working a copious amount of hours a day, but then I took a step back quickly and I emailed my team and I was very honest with them. And I said, I have to be a better model for you. I have to practice all the CDC guidelines that are coming out. I need to make sure that I'm modeling what the guidelines are saying. And I have to make sure that I'm modeling self-care too. Now, in order to manage crisis teams, you know that our self-care game has to be pretty sharp. So it was definitely just a uh, learning curve of, oh, wow, this is a little bit of uh, something different going on in our daily routine. So how do we self-care? So at first, uh, I was... um, struggling to figure out okay well the gym is closed what do i do so now i am a runner outside and i never thought that i would say that
0: god help us all we're all there
1: right I enjoy it so i was hesitant and um, i at first i was like i don't even know my poor knees i'm gonna need like joint vitamins i don't know how i'm gonna get through this but it's actually been um a forced reset and my spirituality. Um, I've been tuning into different sermons online and just having that ability to just turn on my computer and watch them online, and then being outside more. It's it's a forced reset that's really nice and just hearing more people that usually don't speak about self care broaching the conversation and utilizing that term self care um, as I'm driving home from work. Uh, I'm constantly stopping at different um, pathways to allow people to cross. And that usually isn't the case. People are flocking outside. And it's nice because we know that being outside, you have that vitamin D intake. You are uh, utilizing a natural grounding technique without knowing that you're utilizing it. So it really is a forced reset for our society but I wish it was under better circumstances.
0: Certainly. That's great. Uh, Chris, uh, how about you, man? What? How are you taking care of yourself and how are you um, living out that congruent message for yourself uh, in the wake of uh, a crisis like we've never seen before?
2: Sure, sure, sure. So uh, my, meet, my my meeting house, I'm a Quaker, so we, we sit in silence. So you, that's something you can do just about anywhere when you can, keep your kids busy. Um, (laughs) um, you know, we've been spending a lot of quality family time together, um, which has been really cool. And I've tried to embrace that, um, in a way that, um, that I'm, I'm grateful to have some extra time to do that. Um, although it's been, it's been wild and, you know, there's that first couple of weeks, I definitely had to take a step back from the news. Um, I think at first everybody was kind of glued to the television or your news feed or, you know, looking up CDC um, and where things are at. And I've I've really tried to pull back and limit myself um, access to that um, in very short snippets or I go directly to what I'm looking for as opposed to listening to, you know, NPR broadcasts or something like that. Um, I've encouraged my staff to do the same. I've also encouraged my staff to encourage um our guests to turn turn the news off you know because if you sit there and listen to it all day long man it really starts to pile up and add to that anxiety and fret about the future and unknown um you know i I think that's been a really big help is reducing that 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 news feed um the amount of news that you're hearing every day i am an avid um i'm gonna say jogger i'm not gonna say runner. Um, I do (laughs) around my block, um, I have a good, uh, three to five mile loop, depending on how I'm feeling that day. And I I get that in every weekend. Um, and I've thrown a couple extra in during the week, um, in the last couple of weeks. Um, it's a great time for me to listen to music, um, and just kind of like detach from what's going on and, and maybe connect, uh, uh, with, with, with something higher than myself. Um, I also am a closet piano player, um, so I've been practicing my scales, um, and and that's that's really helpful too. My you know my wife um, has had this bass ukulele um, sitting in the corner, and she's finally gotten that out, and she's practicing her bass a lot, and that's been kind of cool. She's like basing at me, you know what I mean? Like walking around the house, <laughs> and I'm like, I need a little Casio, and we can be a duet, right? I mean, mm-hmm kids good night. <laughs> yes. Oh, this is this is the stuff of
0: SNL legend right here. Um yeah, yeah. there's there's so many things to unpack there. First of all, I want everyone to look yeah. at the screen cuz this these are the three faces of the unwilling runners of COVID-19. Like those <laughs> that would be gladly doing something else if if but if the means were available, if the gyms were open, whatever. But <laughs> but you know, it's not the it's we aren't the runners that the world wanted. We're the runners or joggers that the world needs, I guess, right now, or yeah, that we need right to now. be. <laughs> yes. Um. Use I, I, a theme that I heard in something you said was that there's a difference between just because you can take in all kinds of things, or just because you can work nonstop, it doesn't mean that you should. And we're kind of answering this question of how can we be the most helpful, not just for the people that we're serving and trying to make these, you know, COVID-19 versus mental health crisis decisions and, and you know, uh, uh, PPE, like, is should it be for us or should it be for an ICU? Like, how can we be the most helpful there? But we're also asking ourselves the, the question, how can we be the most helpful, right? It's like, hey, um, what what is good for me right now, knowing that I could read the Johns Hopkins uh, updates and I could do all these different things and learn, but is it good for me to do that? And, whether it's you know silence um running um Rania, I think I've even noticed that like you're making um you're basically making uh the world your gym right now with like some <laughs> some different ways you're like free basing off of like the back of trucks or whatever it is that you're doing yes. for like I calf would, raises and
1: things off of A tractor uh, <laughs> yes, that's what it was. <laughs> I went running down uh, the side of a farm and there was a tractor, and I was able to do a pull up on it, and I'm like, you know what? Covid nineteen.
0: This is what we're doing. <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, we had a comment come in, Chris, uh, from Rihanna. She said, "Me too with the piano." That's awesome. So we're we're discovering our our inner musicians that are budding. That's that's wonderful. Um, but I, I, I I'm encouraged by this. I'm encouraged that like you're that we're finding ways to be the most helpful to ourselves. And this is where I wanted to bring it all back to is, as as we've been having this health uh, medical versus um, behavioral health, uh, like tension, none of us can be effective over all the people that we could impact or influence, treat, serve, whatever, whatever role we're in. None of us can do that if we're not well within. Right. And so our healthcare professionals are going to need like trauma therapy right and and debriefing and counseling if they're not getting it our behavioral health professionals at the crisis residential programs need and are receiving as as rania and chris both of you said like daily communication and check-ins and support um that that we all need this because we need to um be functional in this time of crisis To to um be, have as much capacity as is reasonably possible to be the most helpful. And so I'm so glad to hear that, that our leaders in our country, like the two of you are doing this, are still taking care of yourself, knowing that you, uh, you know, you're, you're charged with a lot, that your job is really important. Like, um, I, I think that this whole thing that's happening right now Is bringing out in us this question of like, is life meaningless or is life incredibly meaningful? And that's kind of a question that we're answering each day, Um, uh, whether it's a you know a Frankel thing or a, a, a you know a hierarchy of needs thing with Maslow. Like we're answering that question each day with our actions. So thank you both so much for being here. I'm sorry. I wish we had more time. We could we could go. To the night, but that's not good for us. We need to get our silence in. We need to make the world our gym. We need to do all those things, right? So, go for a run. run. Yeah, hey, I was thinking that we should go for a run together and have our headset in and hear ourselves, you know, breathing heavily and you know, just being out of shape. Yeah, yeah.
1: Instead of the yoga noise, it's the running noise. (laughs)
0: <laughs> the running noise. I love that. I love that. Um, hey, y'all, thanks so much for being here. Have a great week. Thanks and um, yeah, hope to have you on again soon. All right. Be Take, nice. care, Be healthy. You, Take care, guys.
1: everyone.
0: Thank you to my guests, Rania Hassan and Chris Thompson. To hear all of the Crisis Podcast COVID-19 episodes, make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen or become a fan of the Crisis Podcast on our Facebook page.